Today is Forgiveness Sunday in the Eastern Church. It's the last pre-Lenten Sunday. Tonight at sundown, Great Monday begins, and this enters into what's called the Great Lent, the period of 40 days of fasting, prayer, and preparation for Holy Week. The Western Church is presently in Lent, which began Ash Wednesday, and the difference here is really mostly a matter of the calendar of the Western Church, which follows a different calendar than the Jewish and Eastern Christian one. Uh, the Disciple Center follows the Jewish and Eastern Church for the connection between Passover and Holy Week. And since this is a leap year, uh, there is an added month in the Jewish calendar and it throws uh, these things off by about a month. So next Sunday will be Palm Sunday in the Western Church, but we will just have the first Sunday of Lent. Lent's one of the oldest observances among Christians. It's patterned after the period of preparation in Judaism towards the Day of Atonement, which begins in the month of Elul and then adds the ten days of awe between Rosh Hashanah or Yom Terah and Yom Kippur. Um, this is because of the connection between the Passion of our Lord and the Day of Atonement, which is explained and clarified in the book of Hebrews. Lent is making a resurgence right now among evangelicals and particularly among Baptists in recent years. Many Baptist universities are beginning to observe it as well as Baptist churches, um, which I see as a good sign uh, as we move away from this kind of non-denominationalism to a more liturgical approach, one that breathes but, but still has that content. Uh, so what we get is a... Uh, struggle for those who are returning to liturgy, not to do it exactly the way it's done in all the liturgical churches, but find a way that is authentic and does what we talked about, reminds us and teaches the children. So today we've engaged in a ceremony of placing crosses on ourselves during our liturgy. So I want to address the meaning of taking up our cross daily and the traditions common to the observance of Lent and help us to move into that for the next um, 40 days. We're going to begin with Luke chapter 9 verses 18 to 26. We've already read that in our liturgy, but I want to look at it uh, a little closer. In Luke chapter 9, this is a right after Jesus has uh, fed the 5,000. Uh, he is uh, uh, ministering to the people and then it says, it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. This is a fascinating thing, Jesus praying alone, but his disciples being with him. Prayer is normally done privately. There are public prayers. The public prayers are usually done in the congregation. But just gathering to be with a bunch of people to pray is a very recent phenomenon and tends to have your minded on what you're saying and who's listening instead of talking to God. So even on, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus said, pray with me, he didn't mean let's hold hands and have a kumbaya moment. He left the disciples, then he took Peter, James, and John a little further, then he walked a little further and prayed. What he meant was, be praying with me about this, uh, rather than let's hear each other pray. So, in that context, uh, he questions them and says, who do the people say I am? They said, some think you're John the Baptist, 
back alive. Others say Elijah. Uh, others that one of the prophets of old is risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Peter answers and says, you are the Messiah of God, the Christ of God. And he tells them not to tell anyone because his time had not yet come. And then he says in verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them, this means that he is repeatedly saying this to them. He's reminding them over and over. That if anyone wishes to come after me, that means be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Because the one who wishes to save his life will lose it. And the one who loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. And he goes on and talks about uh, being ashamed of those who reject him. So, the path of Jesus is the path of death, the cross, and the resurrection. Therefore, those who follow him must follow the same path. Death, the cross, and resurrection. The problem is, how is that done? We live in a modern and postmodern times with high technology. Our lives are so removed from nature and from the lives of people in the past, that it's almost impossible for us to think this way. This is one of the reasons why I believe the ancient rituals put us in touch with things that have been done by fellow believers down through the centuries, down through the periods, through history, in all tribes, nations, and tongues, and gives us a way to exit this world, if you will, and enter into the kingdom in that sense. So, we must deny ourselves. We must take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. I want you to notice something. This is not a one-time thing. This is not about, well, I went forward. I made a profession of faith and now I'm a Christian. That kind of thinking doesn't exist in the Bible. It exists in our minds because we have formulized all of this. But the reality is that there is a daily requirement to commit ourselves to Christ. Uh, Dr. Lewis uh, often says about marriage that it's one big I do and a daily I do. Without the daily I do, the one big I do doesn't mean anything. And that's true really of following Christ. Coming forward, making a profession of faith, even being baptized... While as important as that is, because it begins that process, there is a daily walk. And that daily walk is a reminder that we are to die daily. We are to take up our cross daily and follow Him. So, how does Lent remind us of this? Last week, I explained that rituals remind us and teach. And I explained that when we take it serious, our children will take it serious, and it will remind us and teach them. And Lent is one of these times for remembering and for teaching. I want you to look at a passage that I have struggled with my entire adult life. It's in Numbers chapter 15.
Numbers chapter 15 tells them what they are to do when they arrive in the land. And in verse 14, he begins to talk about, you will treat the stranger, the one who dwells with you from the nations, in the same way that you treat an Israelite. There will be one law for you. Now, he's not saying, as some people have thought, that Gentiles who become followers uh, are to obey all of the commands. That's dealt with in Acts 15. But what he is saying is that you are to treat them uh, the way you treat yourself. And they are to follow me the way you follow me. Though there are some distinctions, we maintain our Gentile identity, though we follow the God of Israel and we join ourselves to the Israel of God. One of the passages that this talks about is when a person is violating the Sabbath and he is removed from the community. He's actually killed. And in that context, God talks about the difference between intentional sin and unintentional sin. I want you to look at verse 37. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations and that they shall put the, uh, on each tassel of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them and not to follow after your own heart or your own eyes after which you have played the harlot. In other words, being unfaithful to God. So you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, lordship is being talked about here. And God is talking about a distinction in this chapter between those who are struggling to follow God and miss the mark. There are sins where we miss the mark. We're trying to follow God, but we're flesh. We're dust. And we miss the mark. Uh, and the scripture tells us that those unintentional sins are what atonement about. But the Bible does not talk about intentional sins and forgiveness and atonement. If we sin willfully after we know the truth, there remains no sacrifice for sins, Hebrews says. These these atonements are made for sins done in ignorance. They are not about deliberate sin. Deliberate sin requires confession. Deliberate sin requires restitution. Deliberate sin requires repentance. And deliberate sin requires a turning back and a sacrifice beginning again in that process. So there's a difference between struggling to follow God and messing up and deliberately disobeying God. That's why my rebellion was, was a greater issue because it was intentional in that sense. And so the scripture says that intentional sin is judged severely and harshly resulting in the person being cut off. So you would think that, well, then that's all that matters to God. What matters to God is that we don't do any intentional sin, but what if I've done intentional sin? There is a way to turn to God 
But it's not a matter of saying, I'll do it, turn to God, then I'll turn away. Then I'll turn to God, then I'll turn away. Then I'll turn to God, then I'll turn away. Which the pattern of some is. And so God says to Israel, I'm going to give you a reminder. I'm going to give you something that you will wear. That you will put on. And it will remind you when you put it on and when you take it off. That you're mine and that you're to follow my commandments. And that's what these are. These tzitzi, these fringes, are to be worn on the garment. They're placed on the the talit as well. And they are tied with 614 knots. There are 614 commandments in the Torah. And so they tie these and wear them. And if you've seen Orthodox Jews, you've seen them wearing these tzitzit. Now, these are what Jesus was wearing that the woman with the issue of blood grabbed. She didn't reach down and touch the hem of his garment. This is what she grabbed, the tzitzit, representing the commandments which he fully obeyed and virtue came from him and healed the woman. So there is a rich meaning to tzitzit and I have struggled with in what sense do we as Gentiles have a ritual that reminds us that we are bought with a price and we are to follow the Lord. Do we wear tzitzit? Well, if we do, people think you're Jewish. Then you're not wearing a kippah and they say, what kind of Jew are you? And you don't know the kosher laws and pretty soon it becomes a mockery. One of the struggles that we have as Judeo-Christians is to fulfill the meaning and the spirit of these rituals and commandments in a way that represents the manifestation of the substance of Christ, but it's so clear that it's a parallel to what Israel is doing that it reinforces that as they are a light to the Gentiles, we provoke Israel to jealousy in that we understand things that are rightfully theirs. So part of this issue is remembering. To prevent Israel from following their own eyes and their own heart, God gives them this ritual to remember the commandments. The reminder of lordship is found in the tzitzit. Jews wear these, sometimes visibly, sometimes hidden. And they are placed on the prayer shawl, as I just showed you. Lent, then, as the season of the cross, became a time when Christianity very early established a similar ritual of remembrance. It was the making of the sign of the cross. It was related to the putting on tefillin for the Jews who put it over their head and on their arm. And so Christians then began to make the sign of the cross using their arm on their forehead as a reminder that in the same way the Jews were doing the tefillin, there was a reminder that God's word was to be in our mind and in our actions. Later, it began to be common to pray with hands raised Jews do it fully up like this. Christians began to drop their arms more in the sign of the cross, but still the raising up of the hands to the Lord. Ultimately, what began to happen was clergy and devoted lay people began to don a cross or wear a cross, sometimes seasonally, sometimes permanently, to remind themselves that they were purchased by God and by the blood of the cross of Jesus, our great high priest, and to remind themselves that they are to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him daily. Now here's the problem. And you know the problem. 
One of the problems with ritual is that people just do the ritual and think that's the issue. Ritual is reminding and teaching. Ritual is not fulfilling. So, there is a ritual and there is a reality. Ritual, as I describe it, is prescribed behavior that brings meaning and and behavior into our experience so that the meaning and the truth becomes internalized. (coughs) But the ritual itself is not the reality. So the confession that Jesus is Lord is ritual. But actual obeying Jesus as Lord is the reality. So ritual reminds us and teaches But ritual that is not bringing us to become doers of the word is a problem. So it's important for us to avoid two extremes when it comes to ritual. One extreme is to focus on ritual as an end in itself. And you'll know the people that do that. They can't get enough ritual, they do it constantly, and they do nothing else. And they think that the ritual gives them brownie points with God. It actually is condemning them. Because the ritual is telling them what they are to do and then they're not doing it. They are hearers of the word and not doers of the word. The other extreme is to ignore and shun ritual, which is common among non-denominationalists and evangelicals, to the loss of the remembrance and the forgetting of God's commanded will. So what are the rituals of Lent? Well, the first one is to remember. Lent involves a reminder that we are flesh and that we are dust. As flesh, we are subject to the appetites, desires, and self-direction in our flesh that follows the world, ultimately causing us to be ensnared by the world, the flesh, and the devil. As dust, we are mortal and subject to dust. So death is certain, and after that comes the judgment. Traditionally then, on Ash Wednesday and sometimes on Clean Monday, ashes are placed in the sign of the cross. Uh, The normal sign of the cross now includes the ashes. And the person says, remember that you are mortal. A reminder that we are in complete dependence upon God, as was shared in our testimony time today. It involves this reminder... And ashes then are applied, or the dawning of the cross, to provide a reminder that we are to humble ourselves before God, lean on His grace and mercy. We are to trust the sacrifice and salvation made possible to us through God who sent His Son and who made atonement for us with His own blood on the cross. And Lent gives us 40 days to remember what God has done for us and to bring ourselves back in line with the truth of that remembrance. The second thing that the ritual does is fasting. Lent involves actual behavior which symbolizes and practices obedience toward God in, the, in, in following Jesus. Now fasting involves denial of self. I, uh, I don't have time, but my first experience with fasting was a disaster. I went somewhere not thinking about it, thinking I would be able to pray and fast. And I was surrounded by barbecues and uh, people camping, uh, and it was a disaster. I failed within two hours. Uh, it's 
the same thing when you go on a diet. You know that the minute you go on a diet, people give you food gifts. You're invited out to dinner. There are sales at every restaurant, particularly your favorite one. And all the specials sound good. Because the flesh says, when you say, I'm going on a diet, the flesh says, you want to bet? That's the struggle. The struggle of Lent is to remind us that our heart and our flesh leads us in a direction that follows the world. Because this world accommodates every appetite and desire that human beings have. And our culture particularly says, go for it. And so Lent is a time when we say to our flesh, not now. Learning that ultimately we have to say that daily throughout our entire lives. But this is a time when in a sense we go to the gym and start the exercises in that sense. So fasting involves self-denial. The appetites of the body, food, water. And in some cases fasting has involved historically the denial of sex and the denial of sleep. These things are curtailed or avoided to take control over our lusts and our desires. Fasting can be daily. And its frequency varies in in different churches and among Jews and Christians. But the discipline of fasting involves actual self-denial. And this certainly involves stopping sin. But really is more for us to stop self. So that self can be doing something else. So one of the things that's important is if you just say, I'm going to stop something, I'm giving this up for Lent, uh, which you know my approach is you make a New Year's resolution and then you give that up for Lent and then you haven't failed in your New Year's resolution. Right? That's, that's really not what this is about. So the idea is that by denying something, some people deny meat, some people deny dairy, some people deny both, some people deny uh, desserts, some people deny alcohol, some people des- deny other things. What they do is they begin to take control of themselves in this period of Lent. Some all through it, some certain days connected with it. And of course, this is why you'll notice that all the fast food restaurants have a special on fish products right now. And that's because the traditional avoidance was meat during this time. And uh, then fish was allowed to be eaten. And in some cases in Europe, it caused major fish shortages. So we stop sin, but, but giving up something for Lent is only part of it. You know that if you say, I'm not going to eat, and you're waiting through lunchtime or you're waiting through dinner time. It's the longest time you've ever waited. On the other hand, you have all been doing something, busy doing something, and somebody comes to you and says, have you eaten? And you go, what time is it? Oh, I didn't, didn't think about it. Because when you are focused on something else, the appetites are curtailed. So it's not just remembering the cross it's not, and that we're mortal, it's not just denying ourselves, but it's also doing something uh, appropriate. And that is, there are two things. One is prayer, and the other one is righteousness. Related to denying ourselves is drawing near to God. And the primary way of approaching God is through prayer. Not petition, not asking God for help but practicing the presence of God by praising Him 
acknowledging Him in everything that we do and committing ourselves to Him. Lent is a time of prayers, of contrition and commitment to obedience and trust. We take up our cross through this commitment. The third part is righteousness. Having denied ourselves through fasting, taking up our cross through prayer, we now follow Jesus in doing righteousness. That we do, uh, that is what we do uh, in loving others and caring for them in ministry. To all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. This obedience is to become doers of the word, altering our life to be more like him. And this is found clearly in the book of Isaiah, where God says, I don't care about the fast that you're doing. The fast that I chose is to care for the poor and to bring the homeless into your home and to visit those who are suffering. That is the true fast. The symbol fast is to deny the flesh. The true fast is to deny one's life in service for other people. And that's what Isaiah 58, 1-12 is all about. And uh, if I had more time, I'd read it. But it's important to understand that feigned humility and surface ritual and even public acts to be seen of men are not taking up our cross. We are to deny our own direction of life, commit to God and act as the body of the Messiah to be an expression of God in this world as salt and light. So that men will see our good works, knowing that it's not coming from us, but coming from our commitment to God and glorify our Father in heaven. And this is virtually why Matthew chapter 6 is read in the Eastern and Western Church during the Lent period or the commencement of Lent. So I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And you'll see each of these things spoken of directly by our Lord in his in his sermon. He begins with these in reverse order. I gave them as uh, fasting, prayer, and doing righteousness. Jesus talks of them in the reverse order. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. See, they're just doing a ritual. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, their reward has been given them in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room, as Jesus prayed alone. Close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't use meaningless repetition, as the Gentiles do, thinking that they'll be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Boy, that's a great verse. Pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. If you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. The Eastern Church uses those verses to begin today, Forgiveness Sunday, with saying it's time to clean up relationships, which is exactly what the Jews do leading up to Yom Kippur. These are parallel ceremonies. Then he says, When you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. They neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you fast, uh, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. That's the before men. But show your, raise, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the idea here is that we are to seek the kingdom of God and we are to do the ritual for ourselves. The ritual is not for other people. The ritual is the reminder for ourselves. So Jesus tells us then how to fast, how to pray, and how to do righteousness. Lent is our opportunity to remember and to obey and to teach our children. And I'm hoping that we will use this opportunity to do this in our homes and in our gatherings. So what I'm asking you to do is consider some daily or regular ritual of Lent that allows you to consider if the reality of Lent is in your life, not the ritual. The use of these crosses or your own ritual cross. Some of you have them. I'm not talking about a jewelry cross. If you just wear it for jewelry, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you don the cross to remind yourself, and you remove the cross to remind yourself, not just wearing it for jewelry as, as some people do. If you, if you have a cross, you can certainly use these. If you have one of those, I would set that one aside only for that use and not use it for just jewelry purposes. If it's going to be used for a holy purpose, don't use it for a common purpose in that sense. So one of the things that would be really useful is for family members to put these crosses on their family altar and when you do your prayers or at least once a day during Lent, you don the cross. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Removing the cross, you say, I will not boast in anything but the cross of Christ by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. In doing that, we will remind ourselves. And at that time, we should reflect. Was there anything in my life today where I denied myself And I did righteousness. Where I really fulfilled Isaiah 58. Or did I just engage the ritual? 
Now, the ritual can lead to obedience. And obedience is obedience if the ritual's not there. But it's very easy to forget. We know that because we have all been through that process. So I'm hoping that we will focus our prayers during Lent to seek the kingdom rather than food and clothing. For Jesus said, the Gentiles seek all these things. Your Father knows you have need of them. So he says uh, for us to, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added to us. So if we select a righteousness to begin a pattern of obedience that will benefit others, we will truly make this Lent period a time that is honoring to God, reminding to us, and instructional for our children. I think it can be really powerful, maybe on Sabbath, uh, when you uh, gather for Sabbath, to put the crosses on as a family, and at the end of the meal, take them off. Something that begins to put this in the home, in your daily life, in your family life, your household life, and in our congregational life. Bring them on the Sundays that we are here in Lent and don them as you come in. Remove them as you leave to remind ourselves that we need to be more and more focused on the cross. And may God bless that effort and may God remind us so that we will not deliberately sin against Him. And so that our children will learn the fear of the Lord. Let's pray.